0: Dollars and Hops Podcast, where we help you optimize your financial future. Here are your hosts, Scott and Lance. Welcome back to the Dollars and Hops Podcast. My name is Lance. I'm your host. Man, are we glad that you've decided to join us here on our podcast feed for episode 28. We're excited that we get to bring this to you how to buy a house. And uh, Robin Hood, some stuff going on with them. Affirm, what, well, you ever heard about this thing called Affirm? We got all kinds of cool stuff to dig into. This episode, I'm joined by my amazing co-host. His reputation precedes him. Scott, up in Maryland, what's happening, brother? How you doing?
1: Not much. I'm excited to hop into this one, Lance. These are some these are some fun topics to hit today. So I think this a lot is, of stuff happening. Yeah, man. this is this is good, and we love to beat up on
0: Robin. So this is going to be great. Golly, it's it's become a fun hobby. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's
1: like it's like our, fa- our favorite pastime. <laughs>
0: No doubt. No doubt.
1: All right, Lance, let's go ahead and hop into the hops portion of the pod. For those of you that do not know, Lance and I will sip on a craft brew each and every episode. And at the end, we put them head to head, declare a winner. Lance, what are you sipping on tonight? We're going
0: down to Sweetwater Brewing Company out of Atlanta, Georgia, a very well-known, popular uh, craft brewing company. And I'm going to be sipping on this H-A-Z-Y Hazy. IPA. That's how it's spelled, all caps, like an acronym. H.A.Z.Y. Dot 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 dot, I don't know. Is that the best way to pronounce it? Probably just hazy, hazy IPA, double dry hopped hazy IPA from Sweetwater Brewing. Scott, what are you working with tonight? Lance, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, pumped.
1: I'm, I'm pumped. I'm in back. a hazy box, and <laughs> I, I'm actually getting out of the hazy box for this episode here. We're going with uh, this one comes from Cape May Brewing Company. It is called blueberry lemon ipa crushing it i don't know i i think this is blueberry lemon ipa i think that's what that's what it's titled cans got me all confused uh but yeah excited excited to to sip on this and got a shout out my brother-in-law pat uh this is another one that he dropped off for me to try for the pod so thank you for the beer pat
0: pat again pat brother-in-law, Pat, man. I, hey, I'm down here in Charleston. If you need my address, bro, shoot me a text. You know, you can send me some beers too. You know, it, it goes both ways, bro. It goes both ways. <laughs> would love, would love to, but no, that's cool, man. That's exciting. Well, cool. I think we got a headline um, of the week, Scott, that you, you fished this one out uh, about Robin Hood. Oh man, I'm excited about this one. What do our people need to know about Robin Hood? What are these guys doing now?
1: Oh, it's crazy, Lance. This one comes from Forbes. Headline reads, Robin Hood, The $30 billion cockroach of FinTech. Yikes. Doesn't sound like a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) No, Robinhood was hit with a $70 million fine by FINRA. Mm. FINRA stands for the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. Um, But basically, it it was for outages and for misleading its own customers. Mm. If you remember earlier this year, the whole GameStop craze, they stopped trading. They didn't stop trading. They allowed you to sell, but they didn't allow you to buy. All kinds of weird stuff going on. Um, Shady. But um, if you don't know, Robinhood's a brokerage company where you can buy, sell stocks. They kind of made their name by, by uh, offering, quote unquote, free trading, zero commission trades. Um, so a lot of younger, it, it's really,
0: it's really an app, right? I mean, I, I know it is a company for sure. You're, you're right, but it's really, an, it's known for its app and its interface and it just makes yeah, it Yeah, really I don't even know. Do sleek. they even
1: have like
0: a website no. that
1: you can do it on? I think it's all on, on your yeah, phone. The, the
0: website, I, th- I think you can maybe have like a dashboard of sorts on a website and I know you can, now you can pull tax forms and some stuff. From your login, but I think it's all designed to be on a smart device, i like Apple, Android, or or iPad, or something like that, a tablet.
1: Got it. Yeah, and and here here's what Finra said, and it was a it was a scathing like report that they put out, and 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 Robinhood, you know, going to pay this fine, but basically here were the allegations: Robinhood displayed significantly inaccurate cash balances. For example, Robinhood deployed negative cash balances that were twice as large or or displayed negative cash balances that were twice as large as they actually were. They provided false information to customers about risks associated with options trading, and they issued erroneous margin calls and warnings. And Robinhood told customers that they were in danger of a a margin call when in reality they weren't. So uh, this is pretty serious Mm. when when you're using a uh any sort of platform to to trade equities you want to make sure that the information that they're displaying is correct and if they're sending you emails about money you're going to have to come up with in a short period of time you would hope that the that the information that they're putting in the email uh is accurate Mm. and that's and it's been false on a number of occasions um I've heard some pretty sad stories about this, where there was actually somebody that that took their own life because Robinhood sent them an email that said that they had a negative balance wow, of something man. crazy, mm. and they actually, in reality, they didn't. They 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 weren't in the negative at all. So, um, just just scary stuff. They're they're not following wow. the the regulations exactly. that they should. Mm. And I, why would somebody trust a company like this? Yeah, and a couple other big highlights
0: out of this article, I believe a seventy million dollar fine by Finra is the largest fine ever, ever by Finra ever. to any company ever. And um, you know, with Robinhood going public very soon, they announced actually last week, the same week they got fined, they also announced they're going to be you know issuing an IPO, and so going public, and so that's a huge uh, access to capital that they're going to be receiving. Um, and the by the way, Lance, yeah,
1: fifty-five billion-dollar <laughs> valuation for Robinhood on so their So you, you
0: think the seventy million-dollar fine is a uh, is a slap on the wrist or anything like
1: that? I do. <laughs> I I think it's a complete joke. Actually, I mean, I don't, I don't know it's where Finra came up with it. And they're like, "Oh, this is great because it's the biggest fine ever." But like, these guys are are doing some very suspect and shady things. Yep. And here they are. They're going to go public, and they're all going to cash in big time um, by right. misleading their own customers. The customers yeah. are essentially the product. Yeah, the ethics um, here,
0: the ethics here reek and stink. Uh, I mean, to high heaven, it's it's very shady, in my opinion. I have a personal experience with Robinhood where I was a a customer of theirs and had an account when I was a young trader and before I believed in index funds like what we preach in this podcast, and I was learning my lessons. Of hard knocks on the streets of trading, thinking I could outperform the market. Um, spoiler: alert, I did not outperform the market. Um, had some winners, had some losers. Uh, but before I woke up to that, I, I was trading on Robinhood, you know, year in, year out, and I was uh, an early user, early adopter of Robinhood. And about a year and a half ago, before all this stuff went down with AMC and you know GameStop and everything went on earlier in 2020. I had been investing in index funds in my Robinhood account and something happened with the market, I remember, and I wanted to either sell or kind of buy more when the market was dipping and um, it would not process my trades. There's nobody you can call. All you can do is send an email to a generic customer service email address into a black hole. You get an automated response that, hey, we'll get back to you within like three days. And it scared the crud out of me. And I was like, man, this is not where I want to have my hard earned money, my investments um, long term. And so as I graduated from trying to day trade single stocks, I also graduated from Robin Hood and I ended up doing just in a full account transfer to one of the big three that we love, Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard. And guess what? They were able to take my information um, without me recognizing, you know, having to sell things off to trigger taxable events. I was able to just move my holdings from one brokerage to another. And if you call up Schwab or Vanguard or Fidelity, you can actually get somebody on the phone there. One of the reasons we love- Which is huge. We, it's, hu- that, it's that's what you Absolutely need. Like, huge.
1: When you got a question, you, that's what you want to be able to do.
0: It's, it's probably one, one, of, one of my big, not now, but at then at the time was one of my biggest knocks against Robinhood was their terrible customer service and you couldn't get anybody on the phone. But when you call up one of these brokerages, just so you know, if you have a Robinhood account now, all is not lost. Call up one of these brokerage houses that we support and tell them that you have an account with Robinhood, you want to get it switched over. They will help you with that process and they will interface with Robinhood directly. So you don't have to, and they'll deal with all the BS there. So just know that another reason why, man, Robinhood, it's a shady company. It's not really a company you want to go dancing with. You don't want to get in bed with these guys. They, um, you know, and, and free trading, they did help the the overall industry of investing. I think, you know, you think about commission-free trading and how it used to be $7, $10, whatever, $15 to, to execute a trade for an individual trader such as us, just listeners who are listening to this podcast. Robinhood was the innovator, you know, to their credit that allowed – the idea of free trades to exist. And now it's a market norm, really, because of Robinhood. So they have achieved some kind of success across the board and helped everybody else out. But there's an expense, there's another side of that coin, Scott. Yeah. And, you know, m- maybe you could help explain why the free trading really isn't free.
1: Yeah. Especially with Robinhood. <laughs> so there's this thing called order flow. Um, Basically, uh, every time you place a trade, the company that um, that they use to fulfill the trade uh, is basically uh, paying Robinhood a a premium or a, a a fee for that trade. So what's been found? They've done a, they've done a bunch of studies on this, and um, believe it or not, uh, Robinhood has the worst prices for their customers uh in the industry and actually like so like it's if you shocking. go to place a, an order for let's just say yeah yeah so if you're if you're placing an order for apple let's say and uh you did it at the exact same time on schwab and you did it at the exact same time on Robinhood, um what they found is Robinhood gets a worse price, like if you just put in a market order, which basically means, hey, I'll buy it at any price that there's a, you know, there's a seller out there. Um, So (laughs) it's just interesting that the Robinhood keeps filling these orders at a higher price. And we're talking about pennies, right? Pennies per share that add up to a whole lot of money at the end of the day. So it's not really free. And especially if you're making a big transaction, you might be thinking, oh, it's just a few pennies, like who cares? But they're doing that millions of times over and over again with all of our money. And really that's our, you know, they're they're not doing what's in the best interest of their customers. And then they're not providing the customer support on top of that if there's a problem.
0: Mm, Boom. And on top of that, that's really well said, Scott. On top of that, I recently heard some epic interviews with Warren Buffett of Berkshire Hathaway and Charlie Munger of Berkshire Hathaway, both these guys are over 90 years old. They've seen a lot of stuff. They had some very strong opinions about Robin Hood. And when those guys talk, it's best to shut up and listen because they've seen a lot and we can all learn a ton from those guys. I believe they call them, I'm going to put this nicely, bottom feeders. Yeah. And pretty like, you know, this article calls them cockroaches, you know, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger called them bottom feeders as like, you know, basically not serving any sort of service, not really bringing any sort of value to investors or anything like that because of the way that they're like exactly what Scott's saying. They're not providing a viable service um, in the form of customer service or in the form of getting a fair price from the stocks that you're investing in that you think you're getting investments in. And lastly, the people who are investing on Robinhood are the very people who... Really, could probably care less. They're just they're just happy to kind of be there, and they're just kind of going in and out of yeah. stuff. They're feeling like they can, um, like they're doing something with their money. And most people are getting hurt by this, so it's just bad, bad, bad across the board. And uh, if if we haven't made this clear, we're against them. We we don't we don't we don't, we don't like them. So <laughs> don't use them and don't day trade. Just be in index funds, long term mutual funds. You know, wh- whatever you need to be in broad index funds. They're low cost, low fee, and invest for the long term. Take advantage of compound
1: interest. Love it. Thanks, Lance. All right, let's go ahead and hop into the main topic here today. We're going to be talking about buying a house. On a previous podcast, we talked about buying a car, kind of the the, the step-by-step process. Uh, this is something we haven't covered yet, so I feel like it's kind of a foundational thing. Uh, hopefully, you guys, you know, anybody that's listening that is going to be in the market for a house in, in the future, you can always refer back to this podcast. We kind of have a step-by-step guide, and then we're also going to th- throw all of this up on the show notes um, at dollarsandthehops.com for, for all of you. So we're just going to kind of step through this um, and and, and kind of go from there.
0: I love how Scott has a process and like a, a written out like methodical process for like how to buy a car, how to buy a house. Uh, that is so not me. And I, I love it. <laughs> I love that we have this, that we get to talk through this together, everybody. So great job putting this together. I'm, I'm excited to share it.
1: All right, man. So first thing, the first step when you're going to buy a house is you need to ask yourself, do you actually need to buy a house? Mm. Uh, what do you mean by that? So I feel like there's this like stigma out there that people mm-hmm. have against renting just in general. Okay. And, and I mm. get it. You're, 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 you're not building any, you're, you're throwing, throwing money, money away. away. Exactly. And
0: which actually, which actually isn't true. I'll, I'll, butt up
1: against that. Yeah, I agree. You're definitely, I mean, yeah. you, it's providing you a, yeah. a home to live <laughs> in, right? That's, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. it's a trade off, right? Yeah. yeah. So you're trading right. money yeah. for, for a house somewhere to live. That's right. Um, yeah. but I say that because, uh, I just feel like so many people want to buy a house and they want to buy a house now. And, um, especially people that are early in their career that maybe mm. haven't settled down, maybe aren't married. Um, they rush house into fever. buying a house and house fever. Yeah. And the, and 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 maybe there's no reason to, right? If you're if you're real uh early in your career, you don't, you know, you're not really established in a company, uh, you're maybe not in love with your job, you don't mm. have a significant other that you're married to. Maybe buying a house isn't the right idea, right? Mm. Because circumstances can change. So I bring this up because I I really think it's a it's a legit question. Do you really need to buy a house? Because there's a lot that goes with buying a house, and it kind of ties you down. And it's not cheap to sell a house. It's six percent of whatever the cost, whatever the price of the house is. That's your fee to get out of it, to pay all the realtor fees. Not to mention any maintenance and things to get it ready. So I say that very 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 seriously. Ask yourself the serious question: Do you actually need to buy this house? And if the answer is yes all right, we're going to go to the next step.
0: I love it. The flow chart, the flow chart method. I love it. If the answer is yes, move on to the next step. But no, I I think that's right. It's a a good, you know, even the timeline of it, right? Because of everything you just said, and we said on the last episode too, you're really looking at a five or, or seven year time horizon where you need to be, if you're going to buy a house, all right, are you can you be in this location for 5 to 7 years given your family situation, your job situation, your significant other, your partner situation, potential spouse if you already have a spouse, like can y'all be in that spot for 7 years? If the answer is no, man, like should you be buying a house, Scott? I think it's a great question. Spot on.
1: Yeah, and then like just think about it like if you made the wrong decision and you went to sell the house. Let's just say you bought a $300,000 house. Your your cost to get out of that three hundred thousand dollars house, assuming you can sell it at the exact same price you bought it, it's going to be eighteen grand. Your net worth is going to go down by eighteen grand, basically. So you, lose, you lose
0: eighteen. You lose eighteen thousand dollars. I mean, which is a whole lot of rent, by the way. That's
1: a, ooh, great point. So, um, yeah. All right. So let's move on. Let's assume you say yes. I do want to move forward with buying a house. I think the first thing you need to determine is how much house can you afford, mm-hmm. not how much. House does the bank say you can afford? Because those are two very different things, right? <laughs> a lender, a lender will look at your income and say, "Hey, we'll pre-approve you for usually around thirty percent of your 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 take-home income, right?" As a payment, um, but you need to determine how much of your budget you want to push towards housing, right? you might not want to spend 30% of your take-home income towards housing. You might want to spend 10. You might want to spend 15 because you have other priorities in your life. So I think a lot of people will just go to the lender and say, hey, how much can I afford? (laughs) And then they look for a house in that budget. That's not having control of your money.
0: Which, by the way, it just always is fascinating how you tend to push the upper end of that budget once you start looking at houses. (laughs) Because you're like, oh, "Oh, wait. uh, So I'm in this budget range of, you know, X to Y. And well, if I get closer to Y, look how much nicer it is. Or like the better end of town or like those schools that you, you know, you just can always rationalize and rationalize the different reasons you need to go towards the upper end of your budget. And it's hard, it's hard to be disciplined enough to be like, no, we're going to spend only this much, even though the bank says we're approved for this much, we're only going to spend, you know, two thirds of that or something, you know, to have some kind of number yeah. that you put down that, you know, this is what we're not going to go over.
1: Yeah. Like so, that. I mean, I think the main takeaway is definitely you got, you got to work up your, you got to look at your budget, determine how much you want to spend towards that house yeah. in a monthly payment, kind of make that your, and then you can kind of back into what the the house total really should be and then figure out where you, where you want to buy and yep. where, where it makes sense. But you want to be in control of that, not the bank. Love it. Uh, so don't let that happen. Number three, we got save up to 20% down uh, on, or save 20% down. I think so, on your save 20%. On your
0: home. Absolutely, agree.
1: And and the reason for this, and I think we've hit on this a number of times on the podcast is it's all about PMI. What is PMI? Private mortgage insurance. It is a fee that you pay to ensure the lender that you're not going to basically walk away from your house and default. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so so PMI protects the lender. It's private mortgage insur- insurance. It don't protect you. It protects the bank. It's something we want to try to avoid at all costs. But you know, depending on your credit score, it's not the end of the world. If you if you can only put 15 down and you have a great opportunity, um, I actually think that or 10 down. You know, depending on how much cash you have, you gotta have an emer- you'd rather have an emergency fund. If you weigh it all out and the PMI is still within your budget for your monthly budget and the payment still works, knowing it's gonna know when it's gonna come off. Because PMI does come off when at some point, depending on your... Yeah,
1: usually 20 to 22% loan-to-value, it'll it'll right. come off. So yeah. it, it could
0: make sense. I don't want to make a hard and fast rule for everybody because every situation is different. But it is great. It's a great goal to strive to put down 20% on a home purchase when you're looking to buy a home. It's yeah. A, that's a great rule of thumb.
1: And, and Lance, the best spot to save your down payment money is in a super boring online savings account
0: completely agree because why is that
1: because a you're going to be buying a house in a relatively short order i'm assuming less than seven years i wouldn't recommend really investing anything that you can't keep there for at least seven years Uh, and the market at any time we've seen it a number of times in history go down 50 percent in relatively short order So you could be in a situation where you put the money into into the market, the market goes down by 50% and guess what? You you can no longer afford your 20% down for your house. So your house savings should really be in a short-term savings vehicle, online savings account. Um, That's really the best place to put it. I know it's boring. You're not really going to make any money on that money, but at least it's safe and it's not going to go down in value by 50% when you need it the most um, when you're going to buy a house. Um, From there, credit score. Got to start looking at the credit score. So you want to get the credit score over 750. You might be asking uh, and and 750 because um, that's really where you start qualifying for the best possible interest rate. This is an interest rate that you could have for the next 30 years. So it's incredibly important to have the best possible interest rate on your mortgage because you're going to be, you're going to be paying interest to, to the mortgage company for the next 30 years. You might as well pay the least amount you possibly can. The best way to do that, to have a real high credit score. So there's a, there's a couple of websites that I recommend um, uh, to, to look at your credit score, uh, at least initially. Credit Karma and credit sesame they'll they'll provide a free credit score you can go on there and if you have a low credit score pull copies of your actual credit reports and figure out why you can do that at annualcreditreport.com um, and you can pull all three transunion equifax experian and uh, if there's anything wrong on it dispute it with with one with those bureaus try to clean it up before you go to apply for your loan and buy your house. Ultimately,
0: so that's a great that's a great point on the credit score, Scott. What what do we think about? Because you just brought this up, thirty year versus a fifteen year loan, and fixed rate versus an APR with like you know, and it's an adjustable rate mortgage where maybe you could get a little lower up front, and if it starts climbing, you could refinance it. I've heard both. I've heard all these kind of terms thrown around with some of my friends and colleagues, um, and different strategies on each kind of. Where, where where do you land on this?
1: So for me, and this might be an unpopular opinion, I feel like in our space, but like in the personal finance realm, I feel like most people always say, "Go go with the shortest term you can afford on a mortgage." I disagree. It's like, yeah, I think that a thirty year mortgage is superior to a fifteen year mortgage, to a ten year mortgage, etc. And the reason I say that. Is because the money that you, the extra money that you'd be making in payment, if you instead took that money and put it into an investment account over 30 years. Index funds. Index funds. You will end up with, uh, it depends on how much your house is. But in a lot of cases, we're talking about a million dollar plus difference in your net worth. And, And what I mean by that, like. Just just to break this down is let's say your payment on a thirty year loan is fifteen hundred dollars, and your payment on a uh, fifteen year is let's just say twenty two hundred. If you invested that seven hundred dollar difference instead of making it toward uh, putting that extra seven hundred towards your your principal on that fifteen year um, loan, and if you took that seven hundred dollars and invested it instead, you would end up with hundreds of thousands of dollars more over a 30-year period than you would if you just paid down the loan extra fast and became uh, mortgage debt-free. Even once the 15-year
0: loan house is paid off and then the entire payment is still invested, it still comes out ahead because compound interest, we know the most important factor there is time. And you get a 15-year head start on that first $700 split before the full 2200 would kick in. And I think we actually took that exact example you just pointed out. I think we laid it out in a prior episode. I don't remember which one, but I remember doing it yeah. with you. And um, yeah,
1: so it we'll, was it's it's a ton of money, and, and and I feel like nobody, there's hardly anybody that would tell you to do that. Yeah, but that's the book answer. So and but you have to have the discipline. That's
0: it, right there. That that's that's the key. It. I was about this. To, you took the words out of my mouth, and I, I think. Uh, So You're not alone because I agree with you on this. So you and I are aligned on this. I I have a 30-year fixed mortgage. You have a 30-year fixed mortgage. We both have extremely low interest rates because we have great credit scores. And we have the monthly budget idea where we have an excess every month where we're investing that every single month. If you're disciplined enough to have that extra money each month after you're living, after you're giving, and you still have a certain amount, that you're saving from doing a 30-year mortgage and, and you are, in fact, investing that, then that is the, the right thing to do for you. If you can stomach the risk, so really it's two things. I think it's, first, you have to be disciplined enough with your money and then you have to be okay with the risk-reward of understanding the markets, understanding they go up and they go down over short terms, but over the long run, that you're way, way, way on the positive uh, probability of it going up to the tune of seven to ten percent on average every single year, which is a, yeah. a vast spread over a three percent thirty-year. Right. That that's the 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 interest rate arbitrage. There is just it's not a little bit;
1: it's a lot. Yeah, it's significant and it adds up. And to your second question, Lance, I know you were asking about the adjustable rate mortgage uh, loans that you can have with a lower interest rate versus doing like a thirty-year fixed. For me, there's no question. You just want to lock in the rate, especially especially in today's environment. We have especially today we have these yeah. insanely low rates, and I don't know. We've had insanely low rates for a really, really long time, um, but don't don't overthink it, right? If you have a, a great rate, just lock it in. I mean, it's it's yep. it's great to lock in for 30 years um, and not have to worry about paying some crazy adjustable um, rate you know that that could go up in 5 years after that first 5 years is is fixed or whatever don't don't overthink it just lock it in um with the, with 30 year fixed rate um given today's interest rates i agree all right next we have uh so this after you saved up your 20% you get your credit score over 750 you're you're ready to get pre-approved for a loan as we just said 30 year fixed rate is what we would recommend and uh, going to a credit union is probably your best option. Um, most credit unions have the most favorable rates, closing costs, um, et cetera. They're just they're, they're better to um, use whenever you need a loan. So I uh, highly recommend going to a credit union. Why are they better, Scott? Better rates, better customer service, Yep. better closing costs.
0: And, and it's typically because credit unions, we probably could do a future episode on just credit unions in general because they provide such service to the community, the local community, right? But aren't, aren't they owned by the customers?
1: They're owned by their members, yeah.
0: They're owned by the mem- the members is a better way to say it. Yeah, that's to me, that's always been a thing where I'm like, oh, wow, that's yeah, that's different versus a publicly traded, big, nasty monster bank.
1: Mega bank. Yeah, the, the
0: monster <laughs> mega bank is as, as Clark Howard. Yeah, as Clark Howard talks about it.
1: Another thing to keep in mind here is you can um, shop between multiple credit unions. And when you're going to apply for a loan, you're going to want to do all of your applications within a 14 day period. So let's say you wanna shop uh, three separate credit unions against each other for closing costs, for interest rate, um, et cetera. You're gonna to wanna to put all three of those applications in, in a very short order, definitely within 14 days, because if you do, it only counts as one hard inquiry on your credit report, which is great. If you wait past that 14 days, The additional ones will add up, which will decrease your credit score, which will potentially increase your interest rate, which means you'll pay more money for your for your house over the next 30 years. So just make sure you get all those loan applications in in short order. Great
0: point. And per our last episode,
1: you will likely have
0: to temporarily thaw your credit freeze, right? Because if you've been listening to us, your credit should be frozen. You will. Uh, to make sure you're you're preventing any identity fraud on your credit line, your credit report. But um, yeah, you won't be able to even get really a rate or have them pull your credit if it's frozen. So you'll do a quick temporary thaw for seven, 14 days, whatever you need to do. And then boom, you're going to go just like Scott said and go to all different credit unions to make sure you get a competitive rate.
1: Perfect. All right. And then next step here, we have... Start looking at homes online. I don't need to really go into this. We use, you know, Zillow, Redfin, um, realtor.com. There's a whole bunch of websites, but start looking at homes online, maybe even before you hire a real estate agent. Also recommend actually driving neighborhoods that you're interested in, getting a feel for those neighborhoods. At different times of
0: day also is, is, or night is really crucial because places can change when, when the sun goes down, you know, it can maybe all of a sudden feel unsafe, yeah. Or or uh, traffic patterns can be different around rush hour in the morning or in the evening. And so if you're just going on a Saturday morning, you might not be getting a actual feel, but you will feel something on a Saturday morning. And that's important, too. So, you know, if you're going to buy a house again, we're talking five to seven years minimum that you're envisioning yourself and potentially your family there. Uh, you want to make sure you're being diligent in exploring that area at different times of day and night to get a good feel for it.
1: Yep. Makes sense. And while you're driving around at those different times of day, take note of what, how, ha- what homes are for sale and who's listing those homes, because that is mm-hmm. a great way to find a real estate agent. You're going to want to find a real estate agent that knows the area because they're going to know what a good deal is on a house. what it's a bad deal, you know what's overpriced what's not and when when it actually comes to negotiating later on, they're gonna be the the people that are gonna be that that are gonna best know that market they're in it every single day they know each street they know what you know that the house two two doors down sold for six months ago they know all of that so uh mm-hmm. keep those real estate agents in mind, make a list of them as you're driving by. That's a or or if you're even you know on Zillow, you can see who the real estate agent is. So take a look at all that stuff. That'll help you when you uh, go to hire a real estate agent, which is the which is the next piece here. And then ultimately, once you have your real estate agent, you're going to go find a house, go buy a house, use your real estate agent to help you negotiate the best possible deal, um, and, uh, and, nice. and 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 and. After you've done that, once you once you've you know put in your offer and you've you know you're using the services of your real estate agent to make sure you put that offer in correctly, you're gonna lock in your your interest rate with your lender, and then you're gonna go into a a process of inspection and appraisal. I, I
0: think I think let me just interrupt you here because everything you're lining out here, like let's let's be reminded of a couple things here. This is likely your largest asset likely probably yeah i mean maybe you have a retirement account that's more than this but it's probably unlikely especially if you're in your 20s or 30s or even 40s um you this is probably your largest asset that you're going to be putting in your name ownership like hire a pro hire a pro don't try to wing this on your own don't Don't try to represent yourself here don't represent (laughs) yourself to save a few bucks or even if you're selling or buying and don't um don't think that you know a handshake deal with a friend, or you know a friend of a friend, or something is potentially going to be like the greatest deal in the world for you. Like it's not really something to mess around with. When it's your greatest asset, it could also be one of your greatest mistakes. So just hire a pro, protect yourself, um, protect the people who are involved in the transaction, and that also goes for the home inspector as well. The home inspection, hire a pro. Uh, a home inspection uh, can save you thousands and thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, if they they will catch things that you will not be able to see. Um, you know, I've been buying a house here in Charleston. We went through two different houses that we were under contract on, paid for a home inspection out of our own pocket, found stuff, didn't go through. And I was able to walk away being like, you know what? That was for the best. Even though I was out 400 bucks, 300 bucks for a home inspection, um, which is, I think, oddly enough, what it costs about the same as an appraisal. Um, but it, it saved us that and, and man, I, I slept better that night knowing that like, I didn't get surprised didn't with into a $10,000, $10, yeah, yeah $10,000 chimney crack or some kind of foundational issue that I would have never seen or known about.
1: Yeah. So there, yeah, I, I can't agree more. I think the two most important things before you settle on a house are definitely that home inspection probably being paramount and then obviously the appraisal, but the, the home inspection is incredibly important. You definitely want to hire somebody yep. that's uh ASHI certified. ASHI stands for the American society of homes, home inspectors. These people have passed most rigorous, you know, inspection yep. exams, et cetera. So they, they know exactly what they're doing. Uh, it's the, they're going to get on the roof.
0: They're going to throw a jumpsuit on. They're going to crawl in the crawl space. If it has a crawl space, they're going to look in all the nasty little places and find every little thing wrong with the house. That's what you want. Yeah. You,
1: you need that. And and use them in conjunction with your real estate agent. If you have a really good real estate agent, they're going to take that inspection report and they're going to go back to the seller's agent and they're going to be like, oh man, look at all the stuff we found. Like all this has got to be repaired. Otherwise we're going to walk, you know, let them do the negotiating. You stay out of it. Tell them that you want the best possible deal. They'll, they'll work through that with the agent. I mean, I think it's all, it's all a big game, but it is important. Like you want to make sure you know what you're buying. And if like Lance said, if, you, if there's a big problem with the house, it's okay to walk away from it and find something walk. else. Walk. If you're not comfortable,
0: walk. And look, we realize that right now we are recording this in July of 2021. The housing market's a little heated up nationally right to say now, the no, least. Ma- no matter it's where like, you're it's listening to chain. this. insane it's, it's insane, insane right there's there's multiple offers like 10 15 offers on different homes like in the first weekend they go up on listing and you know they're they're 10 and 15 percent over asking price right it's crazy um, however for me that doesn't change I don't want to hop into a house just because it's a hot market and forego an inspection forego an appraisal or, or, or whatever. I I, I don't want to, that's what people corners. are doing right now. I, I, no I
1: contingencies. That. It's it's like insane, and, and but this it might doesn't be, this make sense. Might be an
0: un, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I'm like, I don't want to deal with that headache. I would rather rent for a year and let yeah. them, the market will be in a different place in a year. Likely. For sure. Likely. Yeah, for sure. A very different place. So just, you know, if, if that's you right now and you're listening to this, I'll be like, yeah, Lance, I would love to, but I can't because everybody's, you know, bedding up to Hey, take a breather. Take a breath, take a step back, rent someplace, go on an adventure for 12 months and you know someplace that you always wanted to live that you probably wouldn't buy a house because of XYZ, whatever the reasons are, go live downtown, go live in a, a trendy part of the, the, the city that you're in or, or maybe out in the country or something, go live somewhere for 12 months, do something different and reevaluate next year. It's not the end of the world. It might save you a ton of heartache and effort and money over the long run. You might be thankful you did it.
1: Yep. Love it, Lance. All right. And last, we have lock in your home insurance and close the deal. The only thing I'm going to say about the home insurance is there are good companies, there's bad companies, uh, there's every everything in between. Um, I think Consumer Reports does a really good job. J.D. Power does a really good job of actually rating the insurance companies. I would say select a insurance company that doesn't necessarily have the best rate but it has the best ratings choose from a company that has the best possible ratings a couple great insurance companies uh Amica Mutual it's a it's a it's a company that's that's owned by its members again the, the people that are yep. paying the policies are the are the people that own the company um and USAA uh if you're a veteran or uh you have access to uh, USAA bank Um, They are a great insurance company, always at the top of the list, would recommend uh, shopping those two companies if you can and uh, checking out Consumer Reports or J.D. Power for their rankings and kind of shopping amongst the top. Because if something bad happens, obviously you're going to want that insurance to kick in and you're not going to want to deal with the headache of fighting with an insurance company. Love it. All right, Lance, let's go ahead and hop into some questions that need answers if you have a question, send it to us. Questions at dollarsandhops.com. Again, it's questions at dollarsandhops.com. Questions at
0: dollarsandhops.com. That sounds way better. just thought I'd get a little, little flavor there. All right. It.
1: First one for you, Lance. What are your thoughts on Affirm.com? Have you had any experience with it? And is it good to use?
0: Yeah. Okay. Affirm.com. Okay. Full transparency. I have not had any personal experience with it. And quite frankly, I'm glad. Um, Let me explain what it is first. Affirm is an app you can download. You can use their app to buy things. Um, Instead of paying the full price for the item, they kind of break it down into payments that you can afford and you pay them over time. So Affirm sounds pretty sleek. Actually, a little bit of a similar strategy to uh, Robinhood, you know. There's a little bit of a tie, a little parallel there. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to compare them to Robinhood, but it feels You're comparing them. To I Robinhood don't know. Man. Well, I've just noticed that they're in, you know, certain uh, websites. They are in the checkout. Affirm is. I have noticed that. So, like, oh, do you not want to pay for this in full? Click here. Click this Affirm button. Log into your firm account and. We'll finance it for you. This is pretty dangerous. Mm. Um, let's think about how a firm makes money because they don't do this for free out of the goodness of their heart. Um, they make money by charging interest on payments that they break up. So for instance, if you're buying a $100 item, like think like a purse or a pair of shoes or something, you know, uh, maybe, maybe it's even a few hundred dollars and you pay for it over five months, maybe you pay for it for 25 bucks or so per month um, for five months, for a hundred dollar item, instead of just paying the hundred dollars for the purse, that's how they make their money. That extra payment, right, would be like the interest in the form of interest. So it's not a scam. It's legit in the sense that, but it's it's like a credit card that's a little bit sleeker and really disguised as like, oh, don't don't pay for it all now, right? Um, don't worry about delayed gratification. Like our last episode, don't don't you don't have to save up to pay for this in full. If you don't want to outlay all your cash right now for this two hundred dollar item, this five hundred dollar item, even maybe a thousand dollar item, go ahead and just put it out there and just pay for it on payments and everything. I, yeah, just just,
1: just twenty five dollars. Just yeah, twenty five. <laughs> yeah, just 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 pay us. Uh,
0: And no, and, and I think there uh, we were looking at their website. Um, first of all, let me back up here. Their website is pretty hilarious because you scroll down, and Scott and I were—I mean, we were having a blast laughing at it. We
1: had—I had, I, I had <laughs> so I hadn't really heard of it. I, I hadn't really heard of yeah, a firm yeah. like. I, maybe I've seen it. I saw their logo, and I was like, "Man, maybe I've seen that." But I about died. There is a chair. I mean, go go there to their is website. A chair
0: <laughs> in the middle of their website that says, "Look at this beautiful chair that you could purchase for only four hundred and ninety-nine dollars." And Scott and I are looking at this, going like, "This looks like a twenty-dollar fold-up chair from Walmart." I don't <laughs> understand why you'd want to, only for seven easy payments of it's one hundred and twenty dollars. Like, you know, so think about this. I'm I'm poking fun a little bit, but the idea is this: if you can't afford to, or it pains you, maybe you can afford it, but it just pains you to lay out that much cash for a five hundred-dollar chair. Maybe it's not the right chair for you. Maybe there's a better chair option at Goodwill or like you know a furniture store. That
1: I think I, you could find something that looks uh, way better Facebook than that chair. Marketplace. For, I mean, hello, like Craigslist for, for twenty anything. bucks. Yeah, yeah, come yeah. on.
0: It's like you know uh, the idea of putting things on payments instead of paying for them in full is a a way to dig yourself into a hole that you can't get out of very easily. It's basically going into debt on consumer items, which we are super against is going to hurt your net worth. It's going to hurt your giving. It's going to hurt the way you live on your monthly budget is not good for you. Um, so we want you to kind of stay away from a firm, even though some items they're going to try and entice you in with like, Hey, if you have a high credit score, maybe you can get 0% financing on this. I'm going to warn you 0% financing. That's a trap also, because if it's, let's say a thousand dollar couch, at a furniture store. This is an off, uh, one, something I see oftentimes at like uh, uh, you know, a high brand name, uh, Rooms to Go, Ashley yeah. Furniture, anything like that. Um, you know, Oh, you don't want to pay the yeah. two grand, let's just say, for like a nice couch and an end table and a coffee table or something. Don't worry. 0% financing for 12 months. Split it up. No interest payments. Here's the trick with that, what I found, because I fell into this trap one time. You have to write that check every single month. You have to go in, lick that stamp, Remember to put it in an envelope. Remember to put it in the mail and send it. And it has to get in and and received and deposited by the company on time. And if you miss one single payment, you are liable for this like astronomical interest rate, 15, 20% for the entire purchase. It's like.
1: Yeah, so it's, they, they backed they, they yeah. oh, all yeah. the interest Hold on all it. the Hold other it. payments and made, And it's like, too. wait a minute. Yeah.
0: I remember I fell into this, and I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm, like, stressed about this every single month, this, like, $100 payment on this couch I bought. I remember thinking, like, this is not worth it. Um, and so that's my argument against 0% financing. And by the way, they're not making money on 0% financing, so rest assured, they're charging 15%, 20% financing on $100, $200 items. It's not worth it. Save up, Right. Go back, listen to our delayed gratification episode. There's value in waiting. There's value in saving and working and being patient and saving up the cash until you can buy that item for the full amount. Don't use a firm. That's my advice. Love it. Hopefully, I don't know. That was a good enough pitch, but that's, that's all I got. So question number two here, uh, this is from Sarah. Sarah writes in, when would you recommend hiring a tax professional? I've been able to do my taxes my entire life, but this year, it got complicated. As I got married, my husband and I purchased our first investment property, and I started my own business. I've been using TurboTax, which keeps all of my information year over year. At what point would you recommend spending the money on an accountant, CPA, to do your taxes? Scott, what do you think? I know you have some personal experience with this.
1: Sarah, thanks for the question. I I love it. Um, I was actually in a very, very similar situation to this um, not too long ago. My wife um, started a business. I don't know. It's probably been five, six years now. Um, And that was around the same time that I got married. Um, Very, very similar circumstances for sure uh, to yours that you're in right now. And when my wife started her business, that's when I got an accountant, I got a tax professional because there's a whole nother set of, of, of worms that you got to deal with, with a business that you don't have to deal with on a personal, uh, tax return. And the other, th- the other thing you threw in there was an investment mm. property. So you're talking about your own personal business, which is a business. And you're talking about an investment property, which is also a business. So basically. Uh, you've got two sorts of things that you need to deal with that are outside mm-hmm. of like your personal income taxes, and it just gets a little hairy. So for me, that is the exact time yeah, <laughs> that I would agree. hire a, a a tax professional. A pro. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even dare do no. this myself. Uh, there's like depreciation, and there's all sorts of things that you have to consider. Uh, with that investment property, and then there's all sorts of things that you have to consider with the business, and you want to make sure you're writing off the right sorts of things, and you're getting advice from them over the course of the year, and you're setting things up properly in the eyes of the IRS. So, I would say now is the time. They are not cheap. I spend. I feel like I spend way too much money for my tax for my tax guy, but they're worth every single penny. Um so it's 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 a check I don't mind writing and I would definitely recommend in your scenario to hire a professional immediately. I love it. That's great advice, Scott.
0: Awesome. Let's go ahead and move into the hops showdown portion of the podcast where we rate our craft beers we've been sipping on. Scott, I believe you are up first this week.
1: Yes, I am. Again, I was drinking the Blueberry Lemon IPA from Cape May Brewing Company. Out of New Jersey. Thank you again, Pat, for the beer. It was great. Pat. So this. Th- this was wild. I mean, blueberry <laughs> lemon IPA. It's. It tasted exactly how it sounds. Wow. It it pours like I would love that. A deep purple looks like grape juice almost. No kidding. Um. Oh yeah, you did show it to me before the. All right, it's, it it's, on the g- it's good. It's good. Nice. My rating scale for like for this type of beer it starts at like. I would say we're, you know, the, the the best possible you could probably have is like an eighty five for this type of beer because it's not like, you know, it's not it's not a hazy, right? Yeah. So I, I can't possibly get into the nineties. But I, <laughs> I thought it was good. I thought it was good. I loved it. I, I'm gonna go if you're a blueberry lemon person, you're gonna love this. So so give it a try. Um eighty one. Like eighty one for me.
0: Oh, nice. That's a lower score than I was expecting after you gave it that. higher praise that's interesting it's it's good it just can't be
1: it can't be i I feel uh, way up there fair enough It can't that's pretty cool too fruity
0: so as a reminder i was sipping on the Sweetwater brewing company uh h-a-z-y hazy ipa the double dry hopped hazy ipa i definitely had um some some hints of uh like lime and citrus It, it, it tasted like grapefruit maybe some mango um, and definitely had the pine. The fact that it was double dry hop to me, it balanced it out. So it wasn't the full, like juice of the hazy IPA that like it wasn't that. The straight juice. It actually had the hops to balance it out, that, which made the it, best. it was great. It like gave the dryness along with the juiciness, which was a great compliment for each other. Um, again, not like no malt or anything, which I, I cannot stand in my IPAs. I got to have that, that pine, that finish, um this dude this was awesome and you know i don't know how you feel about sweet water i love sweet water i think I some people it. feel like they're so big now because they've been around for a long time um you know they're, they're not great. as cool because you like the smaller breweries or whatever but, dude i love sweet water and this hazy ipa was incredible i'm gonna give it a 91 man it was nice. it was legit it was uh juiced up and dry hopped
1: so i recommend it all right, perfect Lance. We're gonna leave everybody with our action step. If you're in the market for a home, make sure you do your research. That kind of goes with that saying, but it's it's incredibly important. Buying a home is a huge financial decision and you wanna make sure that you're set up for financial success once you sign the final paperwork. Follow our simple steps mentioned
0: ensure a smooth process it's your largest asset take your time hire a pro this is lance this is scott live and give on less than you make and invest the difference dollars and hops out you have been listening to the dollars and hops podcast optimizing your financial future starts with taking action today got a question shoot us an email questions at dollarsandhops.com and the guys will tackle it on a future episode. Visit our website dollarsandhops.com for show notes and the craft brew lineup for each episode. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Thanks for listening.